0: Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by Reverend Lyle Gwyn Garrity. Hello.
1: Hi. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And I got that right.
1: You did. Yep.
0: Good. Good. And uh, listeners, please be. Uh, if I sound a little different, because I am uh, dealing with some sickness all at home. Hopefully not COVID, but you never, you can never be, you know. Uh my wife's a nurse, so she's actually waiting on a test result because she she can't work mm. until she's symptom free and then you know mm. obviously they don't want folks in the hospital like coughing and sneezing around yeah other and this kind of where we're at right now but anyway, thank you so much for your time and and jumping on here with me um Elile is an artist pastor retreat leader, and creative entrepreneurial. I can't even say that today. Entrepreneur. <laughs> she works with communities of all kinds uh, across the nation, in addition to leading retreats and serving as an artist in residence with churches. She's the founder and creative director of A Sanctified Art, which we'll talk more about here. Shortly, a collaborative arts ministry providing multimedia resources for worshiping communities. She's an ordained minister of the Word and Sacrament in the Presbyterian Church USA. So, welcome.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah. What would you like, uh, what would you like to tell our listeners is kind of about yourself?
1: Well, I am, uh, based in Black Mountain, North Carolina, which is, um, actually where I grew up and I was gone for about 10 years and was really, really grateful to be able to move back to the area, uh, about four and a half years ago with my husband. And so we love calling the mountains home. Um. And I, yeah, I like to call myself a pastorist uh, because the best titles Mm. are made up, (laughs) 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 but because my vocation invites me to blend the identity and the role of both artist and pastor in the work that I do.
0: Awesome. I have to give you a little bit of grief here. I live in uh, Denver, Colorado area and uh, we have true mountains. So
1: you have younger mountains. We have older
0: mountains. Oh, Yeah, we mock your, (laughs) the size of your mountains. Oh,
1: for sure. Oh, for sure. But there's nothing like, you know, I'm always struck when I go to Colorado by how, how much of it really feels like desert and there's Mm -hmm. nothing like, uh, walking through the woods and mm. i know the humidity is you know it can have its plus and minus but there's just yeah. nothing about the the smells and um all the greenery and the way the seasons change here it's just so beautiful
0: well we have about as we're recording it's like four or five fires burning throughout oh the gosh. state I'm so, sorry. so the desert thing is very much true we haven't we're supposed to get a snowstorm this weekend um but it's been like a month and a half since we've got like any precipitation, so yeah. definitely Oof. desert in many ways. Yeah. Um, what's What do you like to do out there and what's the Black Mountain?
1: Mm-hmm, hmm Okay. Yeah, it's a small town near Asheville and mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, we've got a lot going on. We are a pretty small town with a lot of folks retire here, but a lot of folks, a lot of young folks are moving here and young families are, are moving here i'm very fortunate that i have two first cousins who live within a mile of me so throughout covid that has been really wonderful to be able to walk to see them to hang out with them Mm -hmm. outside in the yard and to still maintain connection with folks has been really nice um and yeah we are we're we just love being outdoors we love to go biking backpacking hiking Uh, we have two very wiggly dogs that keep us very active so We try to be outside as much as we can. We love to garden. We have chickens,
0: (laughs) Wow! Yeah, all those
1: things, but it's a very artsy community and a very, um, it's a very entrepreneurial community. There are a lot of folks who just have sort of alternative vocations and different types of jobs. That's more the norm than, you know, a lot of folks who work corporate jobs. So it's really nice to be as, as one of those kind of creative weirdos. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) It's really nice to be surrounded by friends and you know just in this network of, of people that do a lot of different things for work
0: yeah do you do uh i follow a uh, somebody on youtube who's i think in the actual area mountain biker do you do mm-hmm. much of that
1: i don't do as much mountain biking but i do road biking um oh, yeah, and we try yeah. to get up when you know the blue ridge parkway is a gorgeous spot and it's super crowded right now because of the leaf season but we try mm-hmm. to get up there and bike um, it's the best place to go bike because we can bike up mount mitchell which is which is the highest peak east of the Mississippi. So we have some, it's, you know, it's like a little Mm -hmm. under 7,000 feet. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, um, I have
0: three bikes right now, so haven't ridden any in a while, but, uh, um, biking is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, tell us what it, what it meant for you to be a Christian in the past and if anything's changed.
1: Gosh, it's hard to summarize. Um, I'll try to pinpoint some moments throughout my past. I grew up, um, so I'm a Presbyterian pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA, which is the more all-encompassing denomination of the Presbyterian Church. And I grew up in a family filled with Presbyterian pastors, like grandfather, great-grandfather, two uncles, two cousins, um, and it goes on from there. And so it's almost like the family the family job basically yeah, <laughs> um, yeah when that part of my family gets together we talk about church politics and all that kind of stuff and so it was just like it was it was very apparent to me that um from a young age that being presbyterian was a part of who i was and it was part of that that culture and identity that i had and so some of the earliest memories i have of course are just you know sitting in the pew with my grandmother and I think as I grew older to be a teenager, I started to explore, I was, I had this desire to know more about the Christian faith in a more, um, expansive way. So I was just really curious mm-hmm. to grow, to go to different churches and to worship in different places. And so I got sort of involved in young life and some of that. and. Yep. There was definitely a stage where Christian was a label that I wanted to project to the whole world. And I, Mm -hmm. as like a 15 year old would pluck out these scripture passages that I thought were really beautiful, but I didn't know anything about the context of them or what they meant (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, or who wrote them to who, to what audience. But I would cut, I would write them out um, and cut them out and paste them to all of my folders for every class and I would put them on the inside of my locker. And I, it was just very important to me that I displayed this image of being pure and faithful. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then I was, as I grew, um, a little bit older, I think the church became a place for me to really explore my leadership skills. My home Mm -hmm. church did not have, uh, an established youth group, but there was a desire to have some sort of youth oriented, gathering and so I became this like appointed uh, like leader of some small group conversations and you know we didn't have much of an infrastructure but I was the one leading those Bible studies for for some reason I got really involved in some other conferences and some other opportunities within my denomination and that was where I think I experienced um, something that was different than the wearing the label of of Christian and projecting that image to the world, I was experiencing much more like critical thinking around scripture, thinking mm-hmm. about what uh, social, cultural issues have to do with faith and where we see yeah. those intersections yeah. and being challenged by that and and being challenged to embody some of those teachings and not just project them like, like it's mm-hmm. a pair of jeans that I'm wearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I went to college and was really, I think that same sense of interest and curiosity that I had had in high school about other, just like denominations and Christian faith blended into a a hunger and a curiosity around other faiths and throughout the world. And, um, you know, I did like a, a senior writing thesis on women who had converted to Islam and oh. I was just very fascinated by, you yeah. know, conversion and um, why somebody who didn't grow up in a particular faith would convert and what that process was like for them. And so I was just generously like welcomed into homes and into mosques and being able to experience prayers and um, gatherings with these Muslim women. And they were so warm and so wonderful. And it was really, it was really beautiful for me as a young person to be able to step into that world and, yeah. and examine it. Um, so that's those are pieces, those are kind of highlights. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I think being a, a leader in some capacity in my church, being still Presbyterian, sort of born and bred, was just always something I did. Um, yeah. And when I was a senior in college, I had um, this very bizarre opportunity and it was, the opportunity that rerouted my entire life, which was that I was approached by a committee who seeks out seniors who are gr- about to graduate, who are not planning to go to seminary, seminary mm-hmm. but who they believe have gifts for vocational ministry. Oh. And they literally like tap you on the shoulder and, and bring you into this room and say, hey, we think you have gifts for vocational ministry.
0: Wow. If we were to
1: pay you to go to seminary for one year, yeah. would you go? no strings attached. (laughs) And I was like, I remember when that first happened, my heart just sank because I thought seminary, (laughs) I was just ready to, I thought there was going to be some big adventure that I was going to go on to then. And I didn't have a plan yet for what I was Mm going to do after I graduated. But like the thought of going straight into grad school was not at the top of my list at the
0: time oh interesting
1: (laughs) and and i had you know like i just could not imagine myself fulfilling this sort of familial identity of stepping into the pulpit and pastoring a a church and a congregation it was just so beyond what i could imagine for myself but my mantra throughout that entire time was i will say no if it feels true to say no
0: Mm, but if it feels
1: more true to say yes then i will say yes even if i'm completely terrified and very confused <laughs> which i was yeah. both um so i found myself at seminary and um i can tell pieces of that story later but uh yeah. those are sort of the highlights of my my faith journey i think
0: That's so interesting thanks for sharing you know I, I, it's so fascinating to think about you know since you're that's the family business almost for yeah. you was being a pastor i can see how you'd want to like to some extent go your own path and then you're presented with, well, maybe you should pursue this path too. And I can only imagine how much internal wrestling you'd have to do to process that.
1: You're exactly right. So much of my call, you know, I think we talk a lot about like, well, at least in Presbyterian circles, we talk a lot about the internal and the external process of a call and a calling. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of the external call for me. And I had to wrestle with the internal call and, uh, for a while i just felt like am i just saying yes because i feel obligated to mm. say yes to this do i do mm. i feel the pressure of trying to please people in my life who really want me to step into yeah. this role and i really had to wrestle with that um, and i think the only way that i've been able to really claim my sense of pastoral identity and authority is by truly blending it with my identity as an artist and finding my way in this very different path of what it means to be a pastor and to do ministry
0: so um i'll ask for myself even here external is kind of like you know you have someone tapping you on the shoulder that's an yeah. external sign right yeah. and internal is just like do i feel it within myself the prompting of the spirit or however we wanted to find it yeah is that fair
1: yeah so presbyterians have a very <laughs> very tedious um, (laughs) ordination process and it at minimum takes three years or so. And you have to go through a lot of meetings with committees because we are all about committees and making decisions by committee. And so, um, you have to write a lot of papers talking about your own sense of internal call, but then there's this accountability piece where that Mm -hmm. call is also being supported and, and, um, nurtured by people beyond you. Because mm-hmm. there can be people who who think that you have a call to something, but they don't know internally if you feel called to that. Um, yeah. And so it's it's this process of trying to make sure that the internal and the external match up.
0: So, you know, if I'm hearing you right, you're kind of like, okay, I'm willing to do this, but it's gonna yeah. look like something different. And for you, that looked like being a, a pastor, as you say, an an artist and a pastor. Yeah. So go, go ahead. If you ever a sponsor, go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, I went into seminary and especially that first semester, you know, just trying to stay open, trying to stay really mm-hmm. open to the possibilities of what that experience might hold. And again, even when the things scared me, or I felt completely out of place, it was like, does yet I can't come up with a reason to say no. So if yes Mm -hmm. feels truer than no, then I'm going to try to keep opening myself to this. But I came into a world and this is what it felt like. Everybody I met had a three year plan. They knew exactly Hmm. where they were going to intern. They knew exactly what church, kind of church, they wanted to work at. They had already ordered their robe and their stoles and all of you know. It just that's already wow. People had had these like supernatural call experiences where they, it's like the heavens departed and God spoke down to them and said, "You need to do this." Or they had had this very like life changing turning point that said, you know, it became very clear that seminary and ministry was going to be the next thing, thing for them. And I was there, just like. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was a very confusing time and and it was also coupled with the fact that I was I had just graduated from college. I was a young twenty something.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's a very confusing, difficult yeah. time, I think for everyone. I think, especially when you've been on a trajectory trajectory of school and college and it's always just like you're you're on this path and then all of a sudden the path sort of dissolves and it's like well what now (laughs) who's telling me what to do next and so i um i i really wrestled i really really struggled that first semester which is like trying to figure out what i was doing there And I was working at, um, I had been asked to work at a conference the winter in between semesters. And it was somebody who knew I was an artist and um, I had done some live painting before for some conferences. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine who was keynoting for a youth conference had, when I was in college, said to me, hey, I have this, just this idea. It's kind of a crazy idea. Like, I just wanna be, as I'm keynoting, what if you were painting simultaneously and what yeah. if the painting changed throughout the week? what if we turn it upside down all these ideas and I was like, sure yeah. <laughs> so when I was in college I did that and I found that experience to be incredibly um, fulfilling and liberating and so some so a friend had seen me do that before and knew that I had done it and said, well you're an artist you you know you've you basically were an art major I wasn't an art major but I was kind of an unofficial minor and Mm -hmm. said, for this conference, would you live paint again? And would you teach a workshop? And that was a really big turning point for me because that was the moment where I remembered who I was in the midst of all the uncertainty of Mm. that semester where it was like, right, this is it. And I I can come home to myself. And even if I have no clue what that looks like in terms of a a vocational path, particularly Mm -hmm. in the institution of the church as it exists, I could have this sense of, Okay, when I am doing this, there there's a part of me that was born to do this, and so just mm. like keep chasing after that. Yeah. And so after that moment, um, I ended up staying at seminary. Spoiler alert. And so yeah. I, I just started to adapt everything, and I I didn't know what exactly I was chasing. It was just this idea that when I blend art with ministry, it, it feels there's something that feels right.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: anytime in a class where you know, we would do a final presentation or a final paper. I would say, could I do a painting in addition to that? You know, I always added more work. I didn't say like, could I do a painting for my final project? I was like, I'm going to do a painting and then I'm going to write a paper about it, (laughs) or if I could choose a topic of something, I was always looking for opportunities to integrate art into the, Hmm. the topic for the, the study. And then I ended up staying and I did an additional year. What we call, um, I went to Columbia seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's called a Master of Arts in Practical Theology, and you can specialize in a number of areas. And so, I specialized my focus on worship, and did sort of my own added focus on arts and worship, and basically just did like a self-led study, just trying Mm to look through what what in the academia world around arts and theology, what is out there, what have people been writing about, what have been what have people been thinking about? Um, and just trying to position myself, not knowing what I was going to be doing next position myself to at least have that theological foundation.
0: Mm. Great. Uh, I I like what you said back, uh, about that. Yes. Feeling truer than a no. Um, that, that resonates with me, maybe at least right <laughs> now where it's like the path seems so unclear yeah. with what we're going through right now. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Um, I often ask people kind of what has been a spiritual practice that's really been meaningful to you. I'm going to guess art is involved somehow there. (laughs) Uh, is that fair? Is that true?
1: For sure. Yeah, for sure. So prior to COVID, I was traveling really frequently and serving as an artist and resident and retreat leader for a number of churches. And one of the things I would do quite often was live paint throughout worship. And mm-hmm. that's a process of me. I really approach it as if I'm preaching a sermon, it's, except it's a visual one. So I mm-hmm. study the text and I come up with sort of an image idea or composition layout. And then just showing up and and sharing that creative process with a community and mm-hmm. allowing that painting as it evolves over time to become sort of knit into the fabric of worship, the rhythm and the flow of worship. And people often used to ask me, are you afraid to, t- to paint in front of people? And Mm -hmm. my answer is always no, it's actually very comforting to me. (laughs) There's something very comforting about stepping into a space of worship surrounded by community and sharing the messy process of a painting come to come to life with others. Mm. It's actually harder for me to paint and to create in my home studio,
0: because then
1: the, the voice of self doubt and frustration and self criticism, all of that sort of like invades my head. Whereas in a space of worship, I just have to keep going. There's no time to second guess my decisions. It's just it's this very vulnerable process of burying myself open um, on canvas. And, and when I live paint, I always stay after the service for anywhere from two to four hours to keep painting until the painting feels complete, because it's a commission of the church. And I want to bring it to a point of completion where I feel good leaving it. And that was always the most sacred moment. I mean, it was sacred to be with the community, but to be in this empty sanctuary, for hours with no one there, um, just me completing this painting, uh, just in this sort of creative flow, in my own head, with God with myself, was some of the most sacred moments I can remember in my recent years. And my recent years were filled with to be quite honest, too fast paced of a schedule and lots of busy mm-hmm. demands. And so yeah. that was just really like slowing down and centering space for me. So I haven't, I'm not doing that now. Um, I'm not yeah. live painting in a, in a sanctuary, but I think COVID has granted me new rhythms and new rituals. And I really have um, devoted a lot more time to my garden and planting oh. things and planting, Good vegetables and flowers and shrubs and trees and just feeling much more connected to the seasons and weather and changes that are happening outside and the slowness of that Um, and you know similarly to painting i have very little con i mean i do have some control but i have also very little control at the same time i just feel like every time i plant seeds in the ground i'm just like planting hope into the ground yeah yeah please come up please survive um, but you know, gardening in this time of being home has really helped ground me, um, and and provided me a lot of uh, just like spiritual nourishment in this time when it's really easy to feel anxious and it's really yeah. easy to feel so overwhelmed by everything um, that this this year in particular has thrown at us. And so I'm really grateful for slower rhythms this year, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be more grounded in this little plot where I call home.
0: Well, that's great to hear that you've, in this time of disruption, you've been able to find a place of peace.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's
0: talk about, um, kind of one of your big projects, at least as I at least have experienced it, uh, your work with sanctified art, which I imagine has kind of flowed from this pastorist kind of ideal and, um, Fo- tell folks a little bit about what sanctified uh, sanctified art is, kind of how it came to be, what your kind of passion is, uh, you know that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So I was in seminary and I ended up staying an additional year because when in doubt, just get another master's, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And I had um, I had started the process of pursuing ordination in my denomination, just not, again, just trying to be open, st- saying yes. Uh, and I graduated from seminary and I tried so hard to give my whole heart to the process of looking for what we call a call, Yeah. Um, which is just another word for a job, really. Church job. <laughs> um, for church yeah. as a church job as a pastor in a more traditional parish setting. Yeah, and every time I would read what we call an um a myth, which is like anyway, it's basically the church's resume about who they are and what yeah, kind of pastor yeah. they're seeking. Anytime I would read that, yeah, my heart would just sink because it felt oh. like a betrayal of my call. I was wow. looking; it was like the irony. I was looking for a call with mm-hmm. all the heaviness and all. You know, it's such a loaded concept and term and in, in this yep. world and the sphere and and it just felt like a complete betrayal of call. And so I just I really tried hard to give myself to that and I couldn't and I just knew it wasn't right and I thought hmm. if I if I go on this path it will be because I want a job, a job with a salary and benefits. You want money.
0: Yeah. And
1: that that's fine, that's a job. Yeah. And that's a great thing. And yet I have been on this path to pursue a call, a calling. And um so anyway, Thankfully, at that time, as I was searching, uh, I had a church reach out to me and say, Hey, would you ever come spend a weekend with us and maybe lead us in a retreat and paint live for worship? And I was like, Sure. Uh, so I, I started to pull the pieces together around what that would look like. And that involved a lot of like communal art making, mm-hmm. um, kind of presentation style, but inviting folks into community to create together and thinking about the ways that art can be used as a tool for spiritual formation. Yeah. And then sharing that gift and integrating it into our worship. And so I started doing that. And then I was getting more and more requests. And all of a sudden I realized that I did not have time to look for a J-O-B. I needed to make that my job. It was like this massive revelation. And and really what it was, was I needed, I think, somebody external to grant me the permission that I was seeking to give myself to pursue what I felt like I knew I was actually called to do. It was just so scary to go out on my own and to create this thing that did not exist and to say, well, this is what I'm doing now. I'm just gonna be an artist in the church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you ever heard of that? Um, And so I started doing that. And as I was starting to travel and work with different communities, I started to get this vision and I can't, I just can't really explain it now, um, but I was just captivated by this vision of being able to offer some of the work that I was doing with congregations sort of on the ground, being able to offer mm-hmm. that in a larger, like large scale way yeah. to be, to meet the needs of more congregations all over and, and find out ways that we can use technology and use the internet to offer materials, visual art resources as spiritual nourishment, um, mm-hmm. to nourish our faith. Traditions and our worship, and um, and our formation, uh, programming events, and our community events, and so I had had this conversation with three people and it felt like it was the same conversation over and over again and one of those people was my sister-in-law at the time Mm -hmm. she was an artist Uh, she was a painting major from cornell but she had found her way into the teaching world and she was finding opportunities to start creating more art with churches and she was just so eager to figure out what more she could do with that. And then there were two people who I didn't even know very well, but I had gone to seminary with them and that was Sarah and Lauren. And I knew that both of them were these creative types who were artists, Lauren's a graphic designer. Um, Sarah just has this sort of like creative hunger in so many ways and she's a writer and poet. And I just knew that they had this like desire to do something more and to explore like, how could I be, a creative in the church. How can, how can I serve the church with these creative gifts? And so I just had this idea one day and um, started it started it started to form into this idea this this plan. And so I invited them to coffee. Uh, we were all living in Atlanta at the time, except for my sister in law. And I just pitched mm-hmm. them a, essentially a business plan. And they immediately, yeah. to my surprise, said, "Yes, yeah. <laughs> like this is what I feel called to do." And there was this really beautiful moment at our very first meeting. It was sort of like our first official meeting where I like handed them contracts and you
0: know, like mm-hmm. this
1: thing where we all went around and we just had this time of sharing our creative journeys and mm-hmm. where we felt the piece of our faith was missing from that and what we longed for. And it was just this, like we sat around this table and it felt so sacramental. Like it just felt so sacred mm-hmm. that we had found each other and we had found this deep longing together. And so we just started creating, um, we, we had this idea to create, uh, maybe like, we were like, what if we created like a bundle of resources for the season of Advent? Like, you know, we'll start with liturgical seasons, you know, that's what a lot of denominations and, you know, mainline Protestant churches are doing. So we'll provide resources for them then. Well, this was, I don't know, this was in February and I, I was like, that's great. And then a week later I was like, you know what? I think we should do pentecost first as this sort of like soft launch
0: and yeah we'll,
1: we'll start to build momentum and figure out what we're doing and then that'll set us up to be better positioned to serve people for advent and so we whipped together a website came up with some resources for pentecost that was in um may of 2016 and somehow some way folks responded and they were like yes i i think there's I have a desire for this there's a need for this and so that just propelled us forward and we've just been creating ever since and so we really um we create anything from visual art to devotionals to worship art installations to poetry and liturgy we just come together around a season and we work most often from the the lectionary Mm -hmm. and we develop basically the a theme flow throughout a season. And we craft any sort of materials we think might be nourishing for a community throughout that season that can support worship leaders and pastors and provide them with this really beautiful foundation to pull from and to adapt from there. Yeah.
0: yeah. I uh, I think I was telling you before we started recording, I used your work uh, for Advent last year and it, it, I mean, I'm not creative person, artistic. I don't know how much if I have a, a bone in my body that's artistic, but it was such beautiful work. You should and come to uh, one of my retreats. We yeah, about maybe that. I should. We can <laughs> work on that. <laughs> we can work on that. Um, uh, I think what I was astounded was when I was, when I was first looking at your stuff, like how much stuff there is, how much breadth, like it covers from devotionals to, um, you have like bulletin covers, you have like, uh, I mean, I'm getting like your prayers. I mean, you have mm-hmm. so much stuff in there mm-hmm. and what I was astounded cause I, I, I came across this from a pastor friend. I was shocked, like honestly shocked about how inexpensive it was. <laughs> and I want to ask you about that because That's like I have, I have paid, like I've paid, I only made this mistake once. Uh, but I paid like a lot of money for some like evangelical mm-hmm. like Resource that Mm -hmm. was not even nearly as valuable as your stuff is and and uh, Hopefully I'm not like Hopefully I'm not telling you you need to jack up your prices because you know It's a gift to churches Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. we can afford your stuff when so many are struggling but I like talk through your kind of pricing strategy and why That matters to you to make stuff that's affordable uh, To accessible to churches.
1: Mm Mm-hmm Yeah, um, I think that when we are thinking about who do we really want to serve, we're really trying to serve pastors who are pastoring congregations around, you know, one to 500 members who may not have a whole lot of staff Mm -hmm. and who could really use the supportive materials to, to pull from so that they, you know, there's so much that comes with the role of pastoring. It can be Tell so overwhelming, it. <laughs> it can be so overwhelming. And so yeah. what we don't want to have happen is that creativity gets pushed out of the way. Yeah. And so this is our our hope is that we're providing you with these creative materials that will inspire your creativity, that this creativity can be contagious. And, um, and so when we were thinking about it, you know, we, we have this like mantra around abundant creativity yeah. over, you know, scarcity models and scarcity ideas. And so, you know, we really approach our resources as as materials, as resources, we we just never want to be in the business of providing products for consumption. We're just not interested mm. in that. We're not yeah. interested in, in, you know, capitalism worship, where you just come and consume it. Why not? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're much more interested in, in transformation and providing um materials that can stir and um ignite and cause you to question and startle you mm-hmm. and pull you deeper into conversation or inquiry and so um yeah so i think that was part of it and so we and part of it is that we have been creating a market as, like we're making it up as we go along so in yeah. the beginning i mean i did I'm, I'm one of these weird artist types who actually loves spreadsheets and, and math and numbers oh, yeah. just yeah. as much as I like, there's like this part of me. That's like, I love color coded spreadsheets and order and, um, planning. And then there's this like other part of me that loves to be covered and head to toe from with paint. And I'm a very messy painter. I'm not like a type a painter <laughs> in any form. Uh-huh. Um, and so, i did i just remember some of the early days coming up with sort of our pricing philosophy and how we wanted to move forward and and a big part of it was i didn't we didn't start as a non we're not a nonprofit, to be quite honest Mm -hmm. because we wanted i wanted us to be a mission-driven business and what i wanted is for there to be this exchange of resources Mm -hmm. you provide financial resources for us so that we can provide these liturgical resources for you and there's this beautiful kind of Hopefully, an equilibrium. That's Mm -hmm. always our hope: is that what you're getting, you know, you're. We have this nice exchange. Yeah. Um, What I I felt nervous about was spending a lot of time pitching the concept of sanctified art to people to invest or people to donate to then get us off the ground and then knowing the demands of fundraising. And so, I just wanted us to get down to creating and figuring out what it was that we wanted to create that could truly truly be meaningful for communities. And so, um. So it's led into this business model that has actually been very uh, very sustainable for us. And we are always trying to break down the, you know, the tropes of the starving artist narratives. Yeah, and yeah. we're always trying to make sure that also that we're 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 creating new sort of like cultural norms around how we engage art and how we support creative work. Because yeah. if you are paying a plumber to come do work at the church or in your home, you need to pay somebody for creative work too. Right. And so, um, anyway, so that those are some of our thoughts around it, but it's, it's ended up being a really beautiful model because I, it really helps us be accessible to small congregations.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, I I guess it sounds like that hasn't been a huge obstacle because one of my experiences so often in mainline churches, we don't really value what folks are worth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that's been something that has not been a huge obstacle for you.
1: Well, I would say on the, I mean, on the back end, we're always talking about,
0: um, (laughs) pricing and how do
1: we price what something is worth and, um, how much time goes into it. We've, we've got a fairly good, again, I've got a spreadsheet spreadsheet for nearly everything. So we've, we've come up with essentially our own, um, formulas around how we price things and what the thought that goes into that number and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's hard. I think one of the things that we've just most recently done is we've, we released resources on stewardship and it's called our money story. And where we wanted to start was around money narratives and what are the Mm -hmm. stories that have shaped us around money and what are the pieces of that story that, you know have have left us with scars and wounds and yeah. what parts do we carry fear and scarcity and shame and that the story those narratives shape our beliefs and those shape our practices and so those resources are really about getting down deep um, into story and so it was actually really Really, kind of beautiful to do that work together because we've been doing work together of creative work and having lots of, as a team, open conversations, hard conversations about money, and it was really helpful for each of us to go through that process of creating resources and digging deep into our own individual money stories and what we believe about God's money story and yeah. uh, what our how our money story reflects or um, you know f- falls within God's money story and how we can transform those stories to be working toward the liberation wholeness of, of everyone. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good. Let me ask one more question. Uh, when I think like, um, you and the PCUSA, right. Uh, exists within mainline Protestantism, as do Mm -hmm. I, uh, I serve in the Christian church, disciples of Christ. Mm -hmm. When I think mainline Protestants, like artistic is not what really comes to mind. (laughs) Like I think of like these Northeastern kind of like white sterile churches. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, has that been your experience or, or do you think like in many ways, like because, or do do you think like in many ways, uh, the Protestant kind of church you've encountered, are they like hungry for this kind of creative spirit?
1: Yeah. So it's not by accident that that has happened. Um, I think that Protestant denominations have a very underdeveloped visual theology. Mm,
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's been stripped from our history and our tradition. For at the time of the Reformation, very good reasons. But um, we have not been able to develop new practices around visual art, how to engage visuals, how to integrate it into our own spiritual formation in healthy and life giving ways. And so that's a big part of our mission is expanding imagination around the divine image. And, Mm, you know, I think the the dangers of having an underdeveloped visual theology there's so many dangers i'll list a few one of them is if you were to uh well if you don't have a developed visual theology as a faith community then i think we allow the images from pop culture media to infiltrate our imagination whether we want them there or not yeah so if you were to search like google search heaven yep you see a lot of like Clouds with a hand pointing down from the sky as if it's mm-hmm. going to, you know, God's going to strike you dead, or pearly gates and, right. you know, angels at the pearly gates. Um, if you Google search the word God, you might see a lot of like white men with a long beard. Yep. If you Google search Jesus, you might see almost exclusively Eurocentric men, some yep. of them with blonde hair and blue eyes. Yep. And so I think. None of those images are necessarily inherently wrong by themselves. Yet if we are in a culture where those are the majority of the images that we see, and sometimes exclusively the images that we see, then they start to kind of seep into our imagination. And the danger of that is that, um, whether we want it to or not, it might lead to this Sort of subconscious belief that whiteness is closer to holiness and we're seeing yeah. the danger of that play out every single day yep. the other thing is you know Bra- brene brown does a lot of really beautiful research around vulnerability and shame and um she was studying wholeheartedness a few years ago and she was looking at what she defined as a wholehearted person this person who can go through all kinds of you know crisis or deep challenges and grief and loss and come out the other end of that with the sense of resilience that mm-hmm. they believe at their core that they are deserving of love and belonging. And so she was defining that that person as wholehearted and she was doing this study around like what just what makes somebody wholehearted? Like how do you just you know, go through all of these, you know, suffering and hardship and just come out the end of si- um, the other side, just knowing that you deserve love and belonging, because there are so many people in the world who live their entire lives striving for it. Yeah. And so she did this study and so it's the, um, she put together a list of 10 things. And one of those things is everybody who was wholehearted had some sort of creative practice, some form of creative expression. Interesting. And so, yeah, so she found through her study that there is no such thing as creative people and non-creative people.
0: Oh, wow. There's just
1: people who use their creativity and people who don't.
0: So it's like, I would say it like this way, like I'm a woman, I'm not sick and my life isn't crazy, at least I like to work out. So it's like a muscle you have to build, yeah?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So she found in her research that unused creativity is not benign. Unused creativity is not benign. It metastasizes. It turns into things like shame and regret and grief and rage. And so when you think about what unused creativity does to us, that became the call. Like for me, learning about her research was like a big part of my call to action.
0: Yeah. Was like,
1: okay, so there's nothing, there is no such thing as a non creative church or a creative church. There's just churches who use creativity. And churches who don't and let's look at what happens to unused creativity in those congregations and those communities
0: that'll preach right there i don't know how how many times you preach but that will preach wow
1: (laughs) so it's so when we think about art i think it's it's so often i mean i could go on and on about this but i think art so often has been trivialized it's sort of this cute and fluffy thing it's um something you do as a child oh we'll do that if we have time but when we think about the story of Genesis and the very first thing that we learn about God is that God, God creates, created. and the very first thing we learn about humans is that we are created in the image of this divine artist mm. and then you know so like I think that there is this sense of primary calling because the very first command that God gives these humans before the garden and all of that is to bear fruit and multiply which if you look at it through the lens of an artist is, well, to create abundance and to to, um, create goodness and justice and mercy throughout all of the world. And and so I think of my calling as is this primary calling to relive the story of creation over and over and over again, to be a co-creator with God, to bring forth beauty, abundance, justice, and all that is good. And that is underlying everything that we do. It's not about if you paint, or if you write, or if you mm-hmm. sing, it's about this creativity, the spirit of creativity is a part of everything that we do, right? And this is what it means to be an, created in the image of a divine creator who creates the cosmos out of the murky waters, you know? And so it's yeah. just, I think that, that that is a big piece of what sanctified art is about, is just returning to our roots and, um, remembering that that creative spirit is a divine spirit that lives within all of us.
0: Wow, that's great. That's great. Let's uh, let's leave it there for right now. Hi there. My name is Brian Davis, and I'm the host of the podcast Chasing Sunday, a show that talks to worship leaders and other church creatives about the pain, frustration, and joys they face as they work in the relentless world of producing art for churches 52 Sundays a year. It's a show about burning out and burning bright together. We talk about how we can find a healthier and more creative alternative to chasing Sunday after Sunday. You can find us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Let me transition then just to some closing questions and you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to, I let people know. <laughs> uh, but if you're a Pope for a day, um, what do you want to do? What might that day look like? <laughs> what is your thoughts? Gosh,
1: you're asking a Protestant who's like woefully ignorant about yeah. what, what actually a Pope does in a day. Um, I, I just saw that our current Pope, uh, just blessed same sex civil unions. So that's yeah. really beautiful. Late October's um, recording
0: this. That's the big news.
1: Yes. Right. You're right. Thank you for yeah. <laughs> giving us a timestamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, I don't know. I think I might, I'm going to be a little radical and say go for uh, it. Uh I might use that day to kind of take down the barriers to ordination for women, for all people. So
0: Good, good. <laughs> uh a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life.
1: Gosh, what a great question. Um So this person is not who has not passed on, but Barbara Brown Taylor Okay, <laughs> is just such a beautiful theologian and writer. And she's the type of writer that I read. And there's something about her words that I just feel I feel seen and I feel known. And there's every time I read her words, she makes me want to write more, which is what all mm. good writers do. Mm. And I actually have met her very briefly at a conference where I was serving as an artist-in-resident and she was preaching. I got to have a short conversation with her um, where she was asking about my art for the conference and that was really great. So I I have this like, as somebody who lives in a mountain town, you know, I'm not off the grid by any means, but I do Mm -hmm. have chickens and trying to live closer to the earth. I have this, you know, lovely wish of getting to go to her farm in Northern Georgia and uh, spending the day. Just like, tell me about your life. I just, I think she's so incredibly generous and wise.
0: Awesome. Um, What do you think history will, will remember from this current time and place that we're in?
1: Well, as we're recording this, we're still in the year 2020. And I think this year is going to go down as a year of awakening, Hmm. um, awakening to the ways that so many of our systems are broken, the ways that so many of our rituals probably need to die. Yeah, Um, yeah and an awakening to what is possible. Cause this, mm. has, this has been such a hard time, such a heavy year. It will be a year when many people memorialize those who have they've yeah. lost yeah. and that's so real. Um, and it's a both and, it's a yeah. both and, because I think there are so many ways that our imagination has expanded around what is possible. And so I really think this is sort of a, bro- a breaking it's a breaking down and a breaking open year, yeah. um, and it, it is going to be so interesting to pay attention to way to the ways that our systems of education, our, our rhythms and rituals around church, our yeah, yeah. government. <laughs> we're we're like a couple week weeks away. away the- yeah. <laughs> so, um, who knows? No anxiety how this will sound there at all. Hush. but i think we're just we're on the precipice it's it just feels like we're at the threshold of so much mm-hmm. and things are so heavy yeah um and and so how are we how are we breaking down and how are we being broken open at the same time
0: yeah um what do you hope what do you hope for the future of christianity
1: i have found so many similarities in this season to so many stories in scripture where Mm. humans are so attached to the temple they're so attached to the thing that they believe is sacred that they believe is where god lives Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: time and again god says i am not there Mm. i am not in that temple i am not in that place i am everywhere i am with you and i have just been thinking about that a lot in this time because i think one of the one of the the places that we've been stuck as a church is we've become so insular and focused for better and for worse on self-preservation
0: mm-hmm.
1: and again this sort of like this is the breaking down and the breaking open this yeah. we're in the midst of a reformation right now and so i am so hopeful i am so hopeful for a church that is not bound by a physical place, by a physical building, Mm -hmm. but that it's a church that truly is believing and seeing the possibility of God in all things, in all places, in all people, in all situations. And that it is a community that is so involved in working toward the liberation and wholeness of all people that, that is how the church is known.
0: That'd be pretty good.
1: That'd be pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> God well, willing. <laughs>
0: yeah, thanks so much for your time and uh, sharing your story here and your passion here with Sanctified Art. Tell uh, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you're working on for. Um, can't think this far for in Lent. your hands. For Lent. Thank you. Yay, yes. Yay, yay. I struggle um, thinking like weeks in advance. So, Lent know, is like, I know, I know,
1: Lent. I know. What? Um, we are, I think by the time this is published, we will have just released our resources for Lent. Mm-hmm. And our theme is again and again, a Lenten refrain. Believe it or not, we came up with that theme prior to the pandemic, um, that, just a few that's weeks some, prior. Uh, that's good. So. <laughs> <laughs> um so that it, and it has just continued you know i don't even need to tell you why yeah. we are seeing so much meaning come from that theme but we're we're thinking a lot about the cycles the patterns that we're stuck in yeah. um the oppressive systems this this ongoing refrain of again and again, like how long, Oh Lord. And yet how God comes to us with this refrain of, I claim you, I choose you, I can redeem you. Like there's this, there's this, also this refrain of promise that we are always encountering. And so it's this both and of our again with God's again. And so those resources, uh, should be out by the time this podcast airs and um, I hope folks might be interested in finding them. You can find them on our website. It's at sanctifiedart.org, sanctifiedart, like sanctification.org mm-hmm. um, and they should be easy to find on the homepage.
0: And you've got, you've got previous year's stuff there too for others yeah. uh, to use. So check it all out. It's really good stuff. Really beautiful, creative stuff. Well, again, uh, Lyle, thank you so much for your time and I appreciate Uh, just the conversation and may God's peace be with you.
1: Thank you. Same to you.
0: Thanks for joining us on the future Christian podcast to learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future Christian.com. But Hey, before you go do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get
1: the word out to more people. Thanks and go in peace.